two birds, one stone today. The Splash podcast is also the Fox Cricket podcast's test to review edition following Australia's victory in the second Ashes test in Adelaide. are never as good or as bad as they seem. Uh, I think we should normally apply that theory to sport across all codes, uh, certainly after two Ashes tests, but uh, that's not great when you're analysing cricket uh, and when you you are uh, really hammering in narratives, and that's what we're here to do on the Splash and the Cricket podcast today. Hello, my name is Phil Pryor and joining me are two Fox Cricket journalists, Tom Morris over the phone in Adelaide. Welcome in, Tommy. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Jacob. It's good to be, well, it's reasonably good to be in Adelaide. It's even better to be on the podcast. And Jacob Karoop here in studio with me. Uh, Welcome to the show, firstly. Thanks for having me, Phil. Um, It's good being in the studio. I imagine being in Adelaide would have been a bit more fun this week. I heard Tom had a very boozy week in Adelaide. Uh, Confirming or denying these accusations? No, blatantly denying. I don't know who would have heard this from. I've had a (laughs) good week of work. It was a good test match and just uh, sort of happy Australia got the result but would have liked it to go a little bit longer on day five. Time to come home, Tommy, just as the... You're probably out at the airport with the Aussies who are uh, heading in the other direction. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, heading back to Melbourne tonight, working uh, the Fox footy studio tomorrow and looking forward to the Perth test match already, Jacob. Should be a ripper, I reckon, on, the, on that bouncy deck over there. Yeah, Thursday can't come soon. It'll be quite interesting to see, um, you know, how England go into that, having got a little bit of momentum in Adelaide and then kind of fallen at the last hurdle. Yeah, we're going to get into all the Perth storylines shortly, but boys, let's uh, let's cast our minds back to the second test that was Adelaide firstly. Uh, really a tale of, uh, of two halves, it, it seems, in some respects. Uh, we'll, look, we'll, we'll briefly start at the beginning. I don't want to dwell on this decision too heavily because I think the next decision that we're going to discuss uh, warrants more scrutiny. But Joe Root's decision to bowl first, um, the English media were calling it ballsy the Australian media were calling it the opposite uh you know uh, it, it showed a lack of courage uh you know facing up to to the Aussie quicks uh when there was cloud in the sky Tom we'll start with you in Adelaide you were there you saw the conditions firsthand uh yep. Joe Root's decision warranted or poor no, I think it was an incorrect decision, but I've never subscribed to the theory that bowling first is defensive and batting first is attacking. I just think you've got to do what's right for the conditions. Uh, so if the conditions warrant bowling first and, and Joe Root argued they did in Adelaide, then go for it. But I actually think they warranted batting first. I think it was bat first conditions. The pitch was flat enough. Um, yeah, there was some clouds in the sky, but it wasn't exactly heavy, headingly clouds. Mm. These were Adelaide clouds rolling through. It was actually quite sunny towards later that afternoon uh, after the rain came. So that was the incorrect decision, not because it was defensive, just because the conditions didn't warrant bowling first, in my view. Realistically, how often uh, is it warranted to win the toss and bowl first? Uh, And then from there, how often is it justified uh, with the the way a game pans out? Well, Uh, I wouldn't be winning it. 
you win the toss and batting and bowling first in Adelaide, Jacob, isn't my idea of winning a game. That hardly ever happens. In fact, in most Australian conditions, it doesn't happen. You don't want to bat last. I think that's the other yeah, point. Batting yeah. last is difficult, especially against Nathan Lyon and his Australian bowling attack. Uh, I, I wonder exactly what Joe Root's uh, thinking was. He argued that it would allow them two cracks at the new ball uh, on day one. But in doing so, you're sort of admitting that Australia's going to bat 80 overs, which is probably defeating the purpose of bowling in the first place. What, I, what I'd say... Um, I, I don't think it was as bad a call as a lot of people are making out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's every chance that Joe Ritz looked at the forecast beforehand, realised much of the afternoon set, well, the afternoon session, the evening session is going to be rained out, so he's going to have a fresh pink ball to use, a fairly fresh pink ball to use under lights on day one. So th- there's that way of looking at it. What I'd say is that um, Root and later Smith in the decision we're talk- we'll be talking about a bit later was let down by by his players. You know, um, for some reason this whole for the first test and a half, James Anderson and Stuart Broad have insisted on trying to bowl like bowl like Australian short of a length. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're not quick enough to do that. They And their strengths lie in, in swing and guile and, you know, really attacking the stumps and, and teasing that outside edge. Um, if anything, the defensive... Choosing to bowl first wasn't a defensive decision. England bowlers bowling short of a length was a defensive decision from England yeah. bowlers. I think Root was let down by his players rather than making the wrong call. Uh, the other way of looking at it is that England just over the last two years have been terrible whenever they've batted second. They average about 230-odd, if, if my memory serves right, might, might be 260-odd batting second compared to you know in excess of 400 batting first. Um, so whether or not Smith, he was playing to his strengths is, is debatable. And coming back to your point, Tom, um, Joe Root was literally dismissed by a day five pitch delivery where the ball just stayed low and it, it took the bottom edge of the bat through to the keeper. Yeah, yeah. well, that's what he said in the press conference after. He said, oh, look, maybe my feet could have moved a little bit better, but it did stay a little bit low. It, Jacob makes a really, really good point there um, about the conditions and that Root might have thought that they could actually uh, you know, exploit the conditions later on in the night after it rained. But you're right, the, the bowlers bowl too thought... Uh, mm. I, I wonder whether Joe Root had a word to them after a while and said, hey, fellas, we need to pick the ball up a little bit more here. And they just weren't able to execute. Or whether because the score wasn't getting away from them, whether they were actually just quite content to dry up and bowl that slightly back of a length. length. I'm not sure what, the, what, what would have happened. But either way, they got it horribly wrong in the first innings and it cost them the test. Toss didn't cost them the test. You're right, Jacob. But the way they bowled certainly did. Yeah, uh, you know, when they, when they lack uh, sort of that... 10 to 15 uh, kilometres of pace that the the Aussie quicks have. They need to be pitching the ball up, hoping the ball speaks, uh, and getting the Aussies to drive rather than, um, you know, play. The Aussies are so comfortable playing the short stuff on these these home pitches. Yeah, exactly. You know, Australians love love to pull and they love, they love to cut. Um, they're all great driving, obviously. It's not a flaw in their technique driving, but... That's They're attacking just, shots. That's just the increasing the English yeah. bowlers' chance of taking wickets on these pitches. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's interesting. Before this test, uh, England talked about you know they bowled that they, they got their game plan plan right in the first test. And then if you take out Steve Smith's uh, century, then Australia don't actually score too much. And they they bowled they, they kept the field fairly defensive in that first test. Yeah, I think once they got Smith out, this test uh, reasonably cheaply for forty. 
they might have bought into that idea that where through Smith, the rest of Australia will will fall apart. Um, Sean Marsh proved that theory wrong. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, boys, moving along. Momentum. It did eventually switch uh, into the English favour. Uh, and, of course, the landmark moment was when Steve Smith decided... Uh, not to enforce the follow-on at the end of uh, English, the English team's batting innings. Australia had literally only been in the field for 76 overs to dismiss England for a, a touch over 200. Uh, Tom, speak to me about this decision. We all assume that it has plenty to do with sports science not having uh, a fifth bowling option, an all-rounder such as Mitch Marsh or someone that, that can ease the pressure off the, the four strike bowlers in the Australians' 11. Um, speak to me about uh, why Steve Smith decided not to enforce the follow-on, knowing full well that the English had a great opportunity to arrest some momentum heading into the night session where we know that the ball is going to hoop around uh, and put the Australian top order under uh, a fair amount of pressure. Yeah, I think, first of all, Steve Smith and the Australian team were surprised at how well James Anderson and the England bowlers bowled under lights. They'd never seen that before. Steve Smith mentioned again post-game that it was the stillness, the conditions that allowed the ball to swing like it did. So that, that took them by surprise a little bit. But you're right, his decision was primarily based around looking after his bowlers. Now, he didn't do this by consulting the bowlers. But then again, he's the captain. He's got every right to make every, whatever decision he wants, however he wants. That's why he is the captain. Uh, they were in the field for 76 overs. So they'd done the same again, which is about right. Um, then another 76 overs is 152 overs in the field. And I don't think Steve Smith wanted that. I don't think the bowlers by the end would have wanted that, assuming that it was another going to be another 76 overs in the field. And in the end, he just chose, well, we want to bat again. And it proved correct because they only needed to make 138 in the second inning and it was going to be too much. Steve Smith would have, would have wanted and, and expected his team to make at least 200 in that third innings yeah. and put the game completely beyond doubt. But in the end, it, the ends justify the means because they won the game and they won it comfortably, I think. It got a little too close for comfort and there's no doubt about that. And yes, you're right, Steve Smith would have likes to have made a, a quick 200 and then sent the English uh, back in. Brett Jeeves, uh, one of his pieces during the test was, you know, this was a, a, a sports science decision um, and maybe not as much Steve Smith's decision in, the, in that sense. Um, I, I find it incredible that he didn't consult his bowling unit and I understand that he, he doesn't need to do that. Um, but... How much of this goes down to sports science? For me, um, on the topic of Steve Smith not consulting his bowlers, I think it's a little bit irrelevant because I think if he, if he had consulted his bowlers, no matter how tired they were, they would have told him, yeah, let's, let's go again, let's, let's finish this. You um, think? Surely they're, they're big enough and mature enough to, uh, nah, to bowl, answer bowl, on bowl, Bowlers bowl, always bowl. want a bowl. Yeah. Bowl bowl. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's too bad that he made the decision on his own. He has to make a lot of decisions on his own. Um, I, I think definitely, you know, sports science would have had it had a huge role in in him deciding to to bat again, and I think that's that's fair enough. I mean, like these, we're talking about a set of quicks. Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark have only recently come back off injury. Yeah. Pat Cummins, who's looking incredibly fit now, it's worth remembering that this is really his only his first year in 
his first year back in test cricket. He went a long time battling back injuries and side strains and everything. I don't know. It it would be, you know, it would have been hugely risky for him to go. Pat, I need you to to go out there and do this again. I need I need you three to bowl. Give me another seventy six overs. This this is a five test series. We can't we can't afford for one of these quicks to break down. You two have too many connections at Cricket Australia. You're sticking up for for all of these guys. You've... I've never been I've never been accused of having too many connections with positive Cricket Australia before, Phil. <laughs> Sticking up for these guys. Uh, come on, boys, get off, get off the fence. Well, get it. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the counter argument to what I'm, I've thought long and hard about is, I went through a stage where I think, geez, yeah, you should have been forced to follow on. You know, they could have won the game on day four. I mean, yeah, and, that, it, that, and then that, they have another day up their sleeve. That's fine, but all that matters in the end is that they win the game and the bowlers are, are healthy and fit going to Perth. And this is the way that Steve Smith thought he was most likely to tick both boxes and as it proved it was correct there was a nervous moment but they won by a reasonable margin in the end it was a it was a convincing victory looking at the scorecards yeah yeah fair enough and and as you said moving to Perth it looks as though all uh, the three quicks and Nathan Lyon uh, remain fit uh, they should be ready to rumble come the test match in Perth but a really interesting development has been the inclusion of Mitch Marsh in the 13-man squad. He's been scoring runs at, at will across the first five rounds of uh, the Shield. Uh, he's scored over 400, averaging about 47. Uh, he's coming off that shoulder surgery. So whether or not he can bowl a lot, uh, I'm going to need you boys to elaborate on that. But given Peter Hanscom's lean patch with the bat, Given that it is Mitch Marsh's home test in Perth, that his brother's flying, everything is leading towards Mitch Marsh coming in uh, into that Australian starting eleven for this third test match. I, I'm I'm saying you stick by Peter Hanscom. This isn't the first time he's had a, a bit of a lean run. Um, he's only had a short test career, but yeah. he's, he's had a couple of his lean runs and then you know fought, like responded with a beginnings. You know, in India, he started the series with a few, you know, a few 20s and 30s and then went and saved the test for Australia at Ranchi. Yeah. Uh, and then in Bangladesh, he has a poor first test and then, you know, saves the day at Chittagong and, you know, players in innings, people were comparing to Dean Jones at Madras all those years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm saying you stick by Peter Hanscom. I know he's, he's looked, he, he has looked really poor this series. There's no getting past that. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I think it's incredibly harsh to drop, you know, somebody two tests into an Ashes series, yeah, especially yeah. when you're 2-0 up. I think Mitchell Marsh is a, is a great choice by selectors. I know I, I know he has his detractors, but you know he's in good good form with the bat at the moment in the Sheffield Shield. Um, and he's returned to bowling. It's, it's worth remembering this is he's only returned to bowling this week. He's only bowled about 13 overs in first-class cricket, so how good that shoulder is you know, remains to be seen. But yeah. if, if they want an extra option, Mitchell Marsh, I think, was the right choice. Tommy, uh... The, I, I suppose the, uh, Peter Hanscom, who's only made, I think, 150 from his last nine innings across uh, Test and Shield cricket, he has at least made a few starts in this series. He hasn't gone on. He hasn't hit a 50 for the Aussies. But, uh, you know, it's, it's probably not as bad uh, as it seems. But, you know, he's the one under this kind of scrutiny because everyone around him is performing fine and ad- admirably. Yeah, I think sometimes we get um, deceived by look a little bit in cricket. So, yeah, Peter Hanscom looked really 
ordinary on that, what was it, the fourth morning of the test match, uh, when or the fourth afternoon, but the first session when James Anderson made him look silly. But he's not the first uh, batsman that James Anderson's made look silly. And I don't think he looked ordinary in Brisbane at all. And in the first innings in Adelaide, um, I actually think he looked quite good for, his, what did he make, 35 uh, over there in the first innings. Yeah, 36. And batted at night. So he gets seduced by this little awkward 45 minutes of play where he's looked horribly out of touch. But put into perspective, he averages 47 in test cricket. I think he's got mm. enough runs on the board yeah. over India and Bangladesh to hold his spot. Unless, of course, the selectors feel like the whack of wicket is going to be an absolute road and one or two or three of the quick bowlers are not, a hundred, not quite 100%. They're a little bit sore. Then they need a fifth bowling option. But you know what? We've taken 40 wickets in two tests. I don't think we need a fifth bowling option. And if one of the quicks is slightly sore, you move them on and you bring in Jackson Bird and our pace bowling attack, I don't think... Well, I think our team won't be any weaker for that because then that bowl will come back in in Melbourne and we'll continue on. We're going to win at the Wacker no matter what. So I don't really think <laughs> we need this fifth bowling option that they're talking about. But like Jacob, I don't mind him being included in the squad. Yeah, so moving over to the, the English side of things, they head to Perth. 2-0 down in the Ashes series. They need to win to save the series. They need to win in Perth. Uh, and from what I've, uh, from what I've heard in, in my research, England hasn't won in over seven tests in Perth. Uh, they've, they've also got a questionable starting 11 as it stands right now uh, because Ben Stokes leaves a massive hole in that middle order and it's, uh, it's interrupting the other batsmen as well. Johnny Bairstow is not comfortable batting with bowlers around him. Uh, England's got real issues. They've got four left-handers in their top six, which Nathan Lyon is just chewing up and spitting out. What do what does do the English need to do heading to Perth? Tommy, we can start with you. Uh, and Ben Stokes, we're waiting on police charges over in England, I understand, to find out whether or not he will actually be available. Uh, where are we at with this English lineup, and and what can they possibly do to improve their chances of winning this Test match? Well, let's just assume that Stokes won't play, just so we can move on from that. I, I don't think he's going to play at the Wacker. Okay. Crown prosecution is taking their time, and they have every right to do so because legalities and the law rise above cricket. Unfortunately, for many of the Barmy Army fans, I will say that I think the English bowling attack is just toothless. They've got James Anderson, who's a star, Stuart Broad, who's proven as well and, and one of their best bowlers ever. But then they've, Chris Wokes had a, good, had a good game out of late, but then they've played Overton, who offers a bit with a bat and is on debut. But effectively, they've got four right-arm seamers, uh, all who bowl between 130 and, and 140 kilometres an hour, uh, and a spinner who would be far better served as a second spinner rather than a first spinner. They need to change it up. They need to either bring in a quick bowler such as, um, uh, who's the other? Wood? Is it Wood, Jacob? Yeah, um, Mark, Mark Wood. And he's actually been, he's playing in England's um, warm-up match this week right. as well. So they need to bring in him because he's a bit quicker or a Mason Crane. They can't afford to go in to another test match with four bowlers who are all roughly the same type of bowlers. Admittedly, different abilities, but it's just, it's a really same, similar attack. Uh, and the fact they don't have a frontline spinner hurts as well. So I'd be giving a crack to either Wood or Mason Crane to play in this Wacker test and just change things up a little bit. Mason Crane, this young uh, leg spinner, it, which it, it would not be ideal to, uh, to be on, on debut at, 
on this Perth wicket, you would think? That, that could be a real baptism of fire. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's, a, there's an easy place to debut as an English spinner <laughs> in Australia, to be fair. Um, uh, you'd prefer the SCG though, right? Oh, yeah, no doubt, especially <laughs> since, you know, he's, he's played a bit, of, a bit of cricket in New South Wales, even, even got a, she- a couple of Sheff- a Sheffield Shield game for the Blues last yeah. summer. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's the bowling necessarily. It's, it's a tough one. Tom's right. This, this England attack is very same, same. I mean, when you compare but, it to the Australian attack, yeah, it looks the, very weak. It's, it's always, it's always going to look like that yeah. in, in Australian yeah. conditions. You'd say that about any attack in the world, yeah. to be fair, bar maybe South Africa. Yeah. Um, for me, England's bowlers, what they have to take from the Adelaide test is keep it full. Yeah. Like we, they, they made it sing under lights, admittedly. But, you know, the next day they kept it full in the sunshine and they still had that ball talking. And even when it wasn't talking, the Australians look less comfortable against that. So keep it full. I think when it comes to the batting order, the simplest, it might not fix everything, but the, bit, the change they have to make for me is Johnny Bairstow has to move up the order. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd, be having him at, I'd, I'd be having him at number six. It's not a, it's not a huge push. But it's one position higher, so he knows he's got Mo and Ali behind him. Yeah. That splits up, you know, Milan and Moeen, who are both left-handed, and Nathan Lyons just making hay against the left-handers at the moment. Yeah. Um, and England have to do something to disrupt that. So if you have, you know, Cook and Stoneman, both left-handed, you can't do anything about that. But then you have Vince right-hander, Root right-hander, Milan left-hander, Bairstow right-hander, Moeen left-hander, and you split up that, you know, that, that bulk of left-handers and, and make Lyon, you know, work a bit harder and try and pull off his rhythm just a touch. Yeah, Tom, your, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Jacob. That, that's a change they have to make. It might not win them the test, but it'll at least give Johnny Bairstow a chance, a bit more of a chance to make some runs. I will say this, though. They could play whatever team they want, the English, and I don't see them succeeding at the whacker. They just don't have the players. They've got James Vince, who averages 30 in first-class cricket. Admittedly batted well at the Gabba for his 80-odd in the first innings before his run out. But... You can't have a bloke who's averaging 30 in first-class cricket batting at three in an Ashes Test match. The Aussies will eat him alive. That's exactly what's happening. Alistair Cook's not his best. He's finding different ways to get out. Stoneman looks actually very solid, uh, and I've been impressed with him. Root's got all the weight of his world, weight of the world on his shoulders, and can't convert 50s into 100s. Uh, they're just if you, if you pair the two teams up, it's exactly what we thought pre-series. They just don't have enough talent in there to compete with the Australians man for man. So they're relying so heavily on Root to make big runs and Anderson to take big wickets along with Broad. And if, not, those three, if those three things don't happen, then they're extremely vulnerable as a team. That's the next item on the agenda. Uh, Tom, you've, you've led us right there. Joe Root, he's, uh, Jacob wrote an excellent piece on the Fox Sports website about this yesterday. The commentary around this issue continues, but when you uh, put him uh, next to the names Steve Smith, Kane Williamson and Virat Kohli who are kind of considered the big four of this generation in terms of batsmen. Just this year in 2017, Kohli won 55 centuries. Kane Williamson won 53 centuries. Steve Smith, 250s, four centuries. Joe Root, 750s and just the two centuries. Jacob, Joe Root is really struggling uh, to convert 50s into 100s and not even he can explain why. Yeah, um, I don't know if anyone can explain why. It's, it's such a strange one. You know, class batsmen, you know, not always, but they, they have a, a habit of, you know, one, once they're in, 
it's almost impossible to get them out. You know, Steve Smith, as soon as he mm. as soon as he gets a start, you can almost just see the bowlers deflate. There, you know, there's nowhere to bowl to him. Virat Kohli is the same. Well, well Kohli, go- um, wasn't it? Uh, didn't I read yesterday in your piece something like all of the tons that he's made this year? Yeah. He either finished not out or scored two hundred plus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 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 amazing. Virat Kohli is. A remarkable player right now. I, I say I think he's the best batsman in the world, and Steve Smith's the best Test batsman in the world. Um, Agree. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. On, on on Joe Root, I don't know how he goes about fixing this issue. I'm not qualified to comment on how you know a batsman of his undeniable talent. I'm not asking about for your qualifications. That, but, I'm asking for your opinion. I, I don't know how he fixes it. <laughs> but what 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 I'm going to say is that he needs to. He needs to yeah. fix it. If England. Yeah stand any chance in this ashes he needs to be the man to step to stand up yeah and i i don't even think that's just relevant to the ashes i think that's relevant to england's test cricket in general joe root's their best player mm. he's the man that they build their innings around he yeah. needs to be going yeah. big whenever he gets in tom do you have any do you have any theories on it, it, it are there are those around him putting too much pressure on him by not hanging around yeah, the most important thing with these batsmen, these star batsmen, is that they feel like as relaxed as possible, as early as possible in their innings. And the way to do that is they've got a good batsman at the other end who's taking the pressure off them by you know, making runs themselves and, and having mm. a partnership. At the moment, every time Joe Root goes into bat, he looks down the other end and he's either got James Vince, who's averaging 30 at Test cricket, or Darren Milan, who a reasonable player, but he's no superstar either. And then the tail drops away quickly. So it, it's all on him. So there's no let up. The other thing is, it's a, it's a little bit of a, I'm not sure. I mean, certainly before this series, the series started, the stats ring true. But batting against this Australian team is extremely difficult. You, I, I can imagine that you'd never feel in. So whether you're on 10 or 60, they're at you. Lion, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins. Mm. Uh, so it's not like you get to 30 or 40 and you can just tick along and, and it gets easier and easier. Root's having to work harder and harder because he sees blokes perish at the other end. I'm not um, taking away the responsibility on Joe Root himself. He needs to do better, but he certainly needs more help as well from his teammates. Uh, and, boys, one other big issue that we, we need to address before we wrap up this podcast, sledging. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was obviously a major talking point coming out of the test at the Gabba, the headbutt issue, of course, through Stump Mike and all the rest of it. And then we've got English uh, people left, right and centre lining up to get on their high horse and say that the Aussies have crossed the line and da-di-da-di-da. And that's really all they can say when they're getting smashed. Uh, so what? I want to know what your guys' opinions are, first of all. I've kind of just outlined where <laughs> I what I feel. Um, are the, have the Aussies at some point overstepped the mark, or do the English just need to suck it up and start giving a bit back? Uh, suck it up and give a bit back would be helpful, but they need to start playing better cricket in order to uh, justify that. Look, I, my, sledge, my thoughts on sledging have always been the same. If it's sexist, racist, or family-orientated, then you don't touch it. But other than that, fair play. So if someone wants to call someone no good in no uncertain terms, or swear at them, or, or say whatever they want within those boundaries, then Go on. This is international cricket. This is this is intense stuff, and you've got to do whatever you can within those boundaries that are outlined to put them off their game. And 
look, it, in many ways, and we're part of it, it's a media beat-up because people love reading about it, people love talking about it. Uh, <laughs> those those books the, are like all-time sellers, you know, the, the yeah. 100 best cricketing sledges of all oh, time. But like, I'll read that over someone's autobiography any day. <laughs> I'll tell you what, sledging doesn't win test matches. The, the, the cricket wins test matches, and the sledging is just a convenient subplot, really, that we like to talk about. Um, certainly, people who suggest that sledging... Uh, oh, that's not a great look for the game. Look for the game. Well, what is the what, what is the best look for the game? You know, people need to get off their high horse. You're right, and actually just worry about focusing on the cricket uh, and let the players be themselves and stop trying to make them into robots. Um, on on the line of whether anyone's stepped over the line, <laughs> both Joe Root and Steve Smith in their presses, you know, said that you know the sledging hasn't been terrible. That nobody's really stepped out of line for both teams to be saying that suggests, you know, they both. <laughs> have some understanding of what's okay, so that's fine by me. Um, Tommy, did you see Steve Smith yesterday say that he, doesn't, he didn't think the English sledging got to him? What was your take on that? Yeah, he said that, didn't he? Well, I, I couldn't quite work out whether Steve Smith was saying that to try to um, put on an act and actually diffuse it, or whether the sledging didn't actually get to him. He says that when the English talk to him so personally and so aggressively on the field that it actually gets him in the zone. But the fact he made 40 and, what, six in this test match shows that maybe it didn't work. I, I think the Engle- English, if you look at what happened when Steve Smith came into bat, James Anderson went round the wicket to start and all the players were at him. They, they couldn't allow Steve Smith to settle and they didn't let him settle. I, I'm not sure whether it affected him consciously, but certainly it made... It's it, it, only human if it makes life a li- little bit more difficult. Um, I've got no issue with Steve Smith trying to defuse it, but I... Can imagine that the English will target him in the same way in Perth again because really they've got no other choice. They're not going to get him out conventionally. Okay. My, my theory on this whole thing, um, and you know, people talk about Virat Kohli and how he he plays better when he's being sledged, and they say the same thing about about Steve Smith. These great players who you know you don't yeah. want to sledge them because it fires them up. I think that's that's largely true, but I also think there is a tipping point. I think we saw it with Kohli in the Border Gabasca series earlier this year, where he kind of went out, he went out looking for fights and he kind of went, it's me against the world and his, mm, his numbers yeah. suffered. I think, and you know, I could be completely out of line here, but I think that may have been what happened to Smith um, at Adelaide Oval. I don't think I've seen him... Smith seems look... to be fueled by criticism but, and by people not believing. Yeah, him. but this, this test especially, he seemed to be going out of his way to, you know, to bark back. At, mm. at, at the England England bowlers, I don't know if that's the best route for him. I, I think he's he, he's better off, you know, letting them sledge and well, just just putting and then shutting them up with his bat as he's yeah. you know, done so well against so many bowlers for a few years now. But Tom, he's but, he's also made a habit of uh, barking back at everyone on on Twitter. So he clearly reads all the the rubbish that comes his way on on social media. He's not afraid to. Uh, you know, to have a crack, and and he, he kind of shows that he he uses that to his advantage as well. So yeah, he, maybe this is a, a side of Steve Smith that we didn't really uh, sort of have a gauge on until now. He, you know, he is up for the fight. Yeah, oh, Steve Smith's a junkyard dog. And yeah, I love the way he goes about it. I think it's great that you have an Australian captain who's developed into that, and he's only going to get become more. Um, confrontational, I feel, as he gets older and more established in the team. Not that he's established already, but you know, he's the world's best batsman. I will say one more thing on this. Brian Lara was the one who the Australians never spoke to on the field because they felt like when they sledged him, that's when he'd been in the zone 
and make runs against them. Mm. But I think that's, that probably only works with laconic-type players. It, the fact that the, that the English think that about Steve Smith sort of suggests to me that they think Smith is a little bit lazy laconic. He's not really in the game until they do sledge him. But I don't agree with that at all. I think you can sledge Smith all the night and he'll be as motivated as ever. Whereas Brian Lara, you could argue, went out to bat sometimes and just wasn't as interested as he, as he perhaps could have been. That was just his nature. That's what made him so good as well, because when he was on, he was unbelievable. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure it quite rings true for Smith. I think Coley, you're right, there's a tipping point. He got too aggressive and actually lost his focus and stopped watching the ball. Yeah, and, and, and that the final point I think we should make on Steve Smith uh, is that clearly he does wear his heart on his sleeve. We saw that as Joe Root mounted a fight back uh, on the fourth evening and the fourth night... Uh, Steve Smith lost his two reviews in the innings and then he dropped a catch and it, things weren't going in his favour and he wasn't afraid to show that emotion. We saw him grimacing. We saw him with his head in his hands, uh, clearly frustrated by what had happened in that last few hours uh, or, in fact, across the last 24 hours. Uh, is it a subplot that we need to monitor heading into Perth that um, that if the chips are down or if things aren't necessarily all going the Aussies' way, then uh, then Steve Smith can can lose his focus a little bit? Uh, it's interesting. AB Christy Doran, one of our one of our cricket journos upstairs, um, had a chat with AB today, um, and he raised the point that he loves that Steve Smith wears his heart on his, his sleeve. At the same time, maybe he has to temper it a little bit just so he doesn't it doesn't rub off on the other players and they get distracted. I think it is one to keep keep an eye on. He, he's always he's always been this way, you know. He, when things aren't going Australia's way, you can see him getting frustrated. That's just because he's a really competitive guy and he wants yeah. to win. He wants to give it his all. Um, yeah, it's, it's one to keep your eye on. Whether or not it affects Australia negatively, I think only time will tell. Yeah. Tom, your, your final thoughts before we wrap up? My final thoughts are Jake has been terrific in this podcast, but I couldn't agree anymore with that <laughs> recent statement of what he just said. <laughs> and and replacement host? Uh, ab- absolutely. The replacement host has been terrific, Phil. I can never question your dedication and commitment to the task. <laughs> and uh, this Splash Fox little partnership we've got done here, I think it's uh, got a little future in it. Okay. It's like, like Dravid and Luxon at its best. Uh, interesting. Best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll certainly have to. Ha- share a few emails after this and uh, and work out what the plan is moving forward. Uh, moving forward to Perth quite quickly. Jacob, tell us when this next test gets underway. Uh, Thursday. This Thursday, straight into it. Uh, and Tommy, uh, good luck on your flight back to Adelaide. You said it had been, actually you denied that it had been a boozy week. We know that that information is in fact correct it was a very boozy week in Adelaide. How are you, how are you possibly going to recover, uh, give, given that the silly season is just literally kicking off? We've got the Fox Sports Christmas party tonight. Uh, and from here up until Christmas, uh, there's going to be a few boozy nights ahead. All right, well, I'm not invited to the Fox Sports Christmas party up in Sydney because, of course, I'm in Melbourne. Massive side narrative. Uh, that's that's an issue that we shouldn't have brought up uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. on the podcast. No, no it, it hasn't been a boozy week at all. I've enjoyed the experience <laughs> and I'm looking forward to the third test. I think I know what both of your thoughts are heading into Perth. Uh, yeah, just, just it's good to see Tom Morris on the front foot defence. Um, 
Oh yeah, Australia, Australia, I'm tipping Australia to win this in four and a half days. Okay, yeah, you see on the, the Fox Cricket Podcast and on today's Splash edition, we weren't afraid to pitch the ball up uh, and we got results doing it. So we can only hope that the English tune into this podcast, get some ideas to give them any chance of a result in Perth. Thank you for joining us today, Tommy. No worries, thanks for having me. Uh, And that'll do us on the Fox Cricket Podcast, on the Splash Podcast. Thanks to everyone that has tuned in, Fox Cricket subscribers. Please go and check out the Splash. And Splash subscribers, please reciprocate that favour. And until next time on the Splash and the Cricket Podcast, that's a wrap. (laughs) 